your reality ends. Like your entire reality is just like not, you're literally just sitting there and it's over. And you're just like, everything I believe in is wrong. Like, what is this? Hey, Dustin. Hey, Crystal. Hey, Mesearchers. You're listening to the Mesearch Podcast, and we're your hosts. My name is Dustin Domingo. And I am Crystal Tugatti. On the show, we have critical, messy, and fun conversations with each other, with friends, and with leaders in the community. Together, we'll unpack important issues, learn, and unlearn what we think we know about what it means to be Filipino. And today on the podcast, we are talking about the intersection of art and healing. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Art and healing. Yes, art and healing. We love to hear it. We love art. We love healing when it's together. Sounds like beautiful human magic. Um, so we'll be talking about that and we'll be chatting with an old pal of mine from Cal State Long Beach, artist extraordinaire and wonderful human extraordinaire, Trisha Frula. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the show. Hi. (laughs) I'm going to tell, tell our listeners a little bit about you. So. Trisha is a Philippinex queer artist and death worker, memorializing experiences of grief and joy. Her work is multidisciplinary in process, is a multidisciplinary in process diary of her relationship to trauma. And wow, it's just, you know, I've, when me and Trisha met, we were babies. (laughs) We were babies in college. And, you know, it's just, you know, as we continue on our, our paths and go through life, it's it's nice to come back and reconnect and also see um, the amazing work that you're doing and incorporating this very personal and very um, necessary thing that I don't think we talk about too much in our culture, which is trauma and healing because, oh my God, God forbid we have any trauma and talk about it and also heal from it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's so cool to see you intersect that part of our humanness with art. And I was looking at your work and I was really, really moved Um by what you've been creating um i also love (laughs) i I wish i was there but i was going through your website and um there's that uh that performance that you had um and i was like ilocano ilocano and i'm like oh my god i forgot trisha's ilocano and i love this and i wish i was there to have seen it Um, and yeah, just your work is so vulnerable and, you know, we'll get more into that, but I just like, I was really moved by, um, the work that you're doing and I just had to get you on and talk to you about like what you're working on and your process and, and just trauma and healing in our community as well. So thank you for coming on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, 
before we dive deep into where art meets trauma and healing, can you can you tell us what it means to be a death worker? Mm, I can try. Okay. Um, <laughs> so death workers to me are um, anyone who helps with end of life care. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it can, it, it can be like physical end of life, like care and planning, like from disease or illness, things like that. Um, in terms of like creating wills or like helping them figure out their funeral or whatever they need really. So a lot of, a lot of people like hospice and things like that, they help mm-hmm. with end of life care. And I would see them as death workers as well. Um, but it also includes like a wider spectrum as well, where it's like, Things like end of relationship, end of a part of your life, end of a future that you thought was going to be, Mm. you know, Um, it deals with lots of different things. Um, Something I also think about or I have been thinking about recently as well is with like, um, you know, it's it's like with people that give birth, right? Like there's so much celebration around a new baby and a new life or even weddings, a new life together. But do we really talk enough about the part of you that needs to end, that needs to die essentially for you to be able to make room for that next step, that next part of your life, you know? Yeah. Um, So that's kind of what I think about. And I believe that death workers are there to help support all these different types of end of something. Wow. Mm. That is fucking fascinating and (laughs) makes me really excited to know you (laughs) (laughs) that's really yeah my thought on my thought on this was that this is really special and important work because no one i don't want to say no one likes to talk about death but it's certainly not at the forefront of everybody's day-to-day conversations but i think Mm -hmm. it's important to allow it to be a normal conversation preparation and death services like palliative care um just like end of life, like circumstances are not what folks typically enjoy talking about, but it is a normal thing that literally everybody will need at some point. It's very important work. So I guess my literally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, how how did you get into that? Oh, that's a big question. Um, I think. I'm like, where do we want to start? Um, I guess we could go really far back and say, you know, like I I can see beginnings of it in terms of how I was able, how I've been able to support and be there for and hold space for family and friends and people that have lost folks that they care about and they love deeply and people that I've loved deeply. Um, but I can also, I think ultimately what really called me to you know, going, hey, this is something that I want to work on specifically was um, actually right before COVID happened, I started um, crocheting these dolls, these trauma monsters, trauma monsters. And um, it was essentially something for myself, right? Like I was trying to understand these traumas that I held in my body, where they, where they were, where they existed, what, Mm how I could help care for them um, so that I could um, transmute these traumas and like heal from them or try to heal from them. Um, And what came out of it was I realized that it was something that 
maybe more than me could, you know, learn from or get something out of. Um, and, and it was true. I think like when I started creating them, I found a lot of folks were really drawn to them and I created a, I created five trauma monsters for a friend of mine um, who had lost their partner like years ago. Um, and I created, I helped them, I led them through ritual and we crocheted essentially these bodies that were filled with artifacts from their dead deceased partner. Um, and I was like, whoa, that was really intense. I didn't know that I could do that and that I was into that. Um, and so then I was like, maybe I need to learn more. And so I decided to take a class. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Like what an incredible experience to have um, or a profound experience to have with your friend and um, holding space for her um, as she grieves, yeah. as she grieved him. Sorry. So sorry. Yeah. <laughs> as yeah. he uh, grieved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like just going back to how we don't talk about death enough because it is such a, it's such a, it feels like a definite thing and we're afraid of endings but then on the other side, we just like don't know what's there. Mm -hmm. And there is like that sense of maybe anxiety. Mm -hmm. But um, I love how you're also encompassing death as parts of yourself. Um, allowing yourself to maybe see like the, the traumas that live in your body so that maybe could be put to rest somewhere because mm -hmm. it'll always live you know somewhere mm -hmm. but it's but I guess I don't know that's a funny thought just not a funny thought but a thought of how even when because I believe in energy like after mm -hmm. you die physically our energy continues to live on and so mm -hmm. we're still living essentially so I don't know it's just like such an interesting juxtaposition of like what death and life is and is death really death um yeah because like we don't really know like that's the one thing that we can all agree on is we don't actually know what's going to happen like we can believe that there are things and we can also believe that there are not we can believe that there are energies we can also believe there are not i also believe in energies but i know that some people don't and we can't prove it either yeah. way right now like the only people that can prove it have already died and they can't tell us unless we believe that people can talk to spirit right yeah and i mean i do but some people don't so again it's not like solid like what do we even what even is proof you know mm. right how do we even know um but yeah the one thing we can agree on is that we will die and that there are people that will be left behind that do need to we that we can there might be people that we care about that are left behind and how do we have a good death? Like, how do we die in a way where we can be at peace if we believe in that? Or if, and so that the folks that we leave behind can also be in the best place possible when, when we die. Because they're going to be distraught. If they love us, I assume they're going to be distraught, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but, like, how can we support them? How can we 
how can we care for them while we're alive and prepare for that moment so that when that horrible thing happens, they can be able to grieve in the way that they need to. And they don't have to deal with all of the other burdens that like you never want to put on them anyway, you know? Before you started working on death, were you, what were your feelings about it? And how has making art about it changed your ideas, perspectives, etc.? Before I started working on it, mm-hmm. um, I think that my feelings about death were very like I don't know I I believe that no one ever really dies I think physically they do but I think like that physically the body dies but I think that there there's like pieces of them that still live and I think like when my grandfather died when I was like I don't know 17 I don't know I remember like there were so many signs that he was still there like so many things happened that he was still there and he still shows up every once in a while to me. Um, and so I think like my relationship to death has always been fairly like, like I don't understand, but I'm okay with not really understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously like the like levels of like, levels of that in terms of like, I have a lot of Catholic guilt where like, you know, raised Catholic. So I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh my God. But like, if I do this wrong, like I'm gonna go to hell and like, but then, or like, but what even is hell? What even is heaven? Like, right. yeah. yeah. And so there obviously is that too. Um, and I've been working through that or trying to understand that, but my feelings for death have always been like, you know, it's just something that happens and it will happen. Um, my, my other grand, my paternal grandfather died when I was like eight from like um, lung and throat cancer. Um, and I remember that like vividly, like the surgeries and all of the things. And, you know, as a kid, so I was just kind of like, oh, this is weird, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and he died in my uncle's home. And I remember when it happened, they told me and my, my cousin to go in the other room, you know, mm-hmm. but I, and say, or say goodbye first and then go into the other room. But we knew it was happening. I was old enough to know. Um, so yeah, I feel like I've kind of, I'm, I'm repeating the same thing I, I've already said before, but, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so the next part of the question was like, what, how has that changed since I started working in death? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's changed that much. I think something that the thing that has changed though, is that I do know for sure I will be absolutely like a puddle. Like I will be definitely a puddle when like you know my parents die Mm. like before I was like it'll be okay like I know how to handle it I've handled these things before but the more I think about it and the more I plan my death plan my things like oh I need to make a living will I need to make this stuff like the more I'm like oh god this is actually it's easy to talk about in theory for me and it's easy to like witness and and hold space for others but when it comes to like me, I'm like, what, what, like, what is this? What does this mean? And I mm-hmm. think that's like 
something interesting that has been coming up. Um, yeah, but I also wanted to kind of pull in something else too, because, you know, I talk about like death in terms of end of other things as well, right? Like end yeah. of relationships, end of the life you wanted. Um, and like, I mean, Crystal, you knew me through this weird phase of my life where I dated a really abusive human. Um, and when that relationship ended, the way I've described it and way I've heard a lot of other trauma survivors describe it or abuse survivors describe it is like your reality ends. Like mm. your entire reality is just like not, you're literally just sitting there and it's over and you're just like, everything I believe in is wrong. Like, what is this? And so I think that death, in a sense, that death of a certain life was really what rocked me and shifted the way that I practice my art and the way that I interact with others. Wow. I'm glad you're thriving, girl. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about some heavy shit here. (laughs) For folks who aren't, who who are listening to this podcast and discovering you for the first time, can you speak more, elaborate on what is, what are trauma monsters? You gave us a little bit of an example of Mm -hmm. one, but like, can you speak more about what those are and what that looks like for each person? Yeah. So trauma monsters is what I've named them. They're crochet dolls. And basically what I do is I'll, We'll locate traumas. We'll figure out where they live in our bodies and we'll find physical um, physical symbols or totems or whatever that um, represents these, these big feelings, these hard things. Um, and we crochet them into these dolls. And so what ends up happening is they end up being like a little, a little spirit, a little energy, a little piece of, yourself or someone else um, for you to hold and care for in the way that you need to. Um, Now, the trauma monsters have kind of moved into and shifted into other things, Um, like the doll that I explained, the dolls that I created for a friend um, that I explained earlier, where they're essentially a way to help him grieve and, and a way to represent and celebrate the life of his partner. But they were also kind of like we were using, we were utilizing a lot of materials that like she wore or that she loved or that helped her through her cancer. So the first one I created was filled with all the folks I've blanked before. And it was basically, it was filled with a bunch of drawings of um, a little mini cartoon series that I created. It was filled with the original drawings of those. Um, called Cold Girl's Guide to Love. And this is like a whole matrix of like ideas and projects that I've worked on. And basically Cold Girl was this character. It was like a, essentially like Lizzie McGuire me (laughs) Um, that like did all the dumb (laughs) shit. And um, it was part of me understanding how to process like, relationships and process like mm, yeah like what kind of person am I trying to be in this like dating world in this life that I'm living in this like 
yeah and I created her like when I first moved to New York um and she was just like roaming around doing like dumb shit fucking around you know all of that stuff and yeah so the trauma the first trauma monster I made was filled with original drawings from her and I thought that was really special because it was able to help me like you know, understand like what exactly it is that I'm doing that is that might not be the best, you know. And at first, when I created this doll, these this doll, I like wanted to create it and like separate it from myself. But then, as I kept working, as I kept creating more dolls and like working through these things, I realized like, oh, like maybe she needs some attention. Maybe she needs to be cared for. I have this one doll that's filled with like my insecure inner, inner child, which has um, photos of me from middle school stuffed inside and <laughs> and when I was dealing with a lot of like um inner child when I was doing a lot of inner child work in therapy oh I was like I literally like slept with her for three days and I like talked to my <laughs> I talked to my therapist after and she's like how are you doing and I was like I don't know I just slept with a doll for like three nights I think I'm fine <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> but it helped yes yes love that I love that because essentially it's like we're you know we're coming back to our our child self and like reparenting and and loving on that part that needed all the love and it's so cool that you've kind of made this tangible thing to hold and to love that was part of yourself um when you were a kid with those pictures inside this doll, like that's, (laughs) wow, that's so powerful. Thank you. Yeah. And I, one thing is, you know, I didn't think it was so crazy until I started working with other people with it, you know, Mm -hmm. like the most recent one was with um, a friend's, a friend's child who I'll have to get permission to use this, to say this okay Okay. just so you know um but um yeah so her she's going through a divorce and so her kid is four and has been acting out and he's been having like some really big feelings and so we've been visiting him a lot and at one point I was like he was really into the fact that I crochet and I was like what do you want me to make and he's like make me a bear and I was like okay but you need to tell me what to fill it with and so we started having like these these fun little like sessions in a way that were super casual but super fun where I was just kind of like, okay, we got to work on the legs. What is the leg filled with? And he would just oh be like, God. yellow or like black. <laughs> and I'd be like, what does that mean? And then he would tell me what it means. And it was just like the sweetest thing. And so now he has like this bear that's like giant. What a lovely way to help a child process. A healthy way. And like communicate. Yeah, they're like thinking about what it is they're Mm -hmm. feeling and you're like prompting them to articulate what they're feeling and thinking with something that's fun and like just like a lovely artifact to have with you during a difficult time. Yeah, and he might not even understand what's happening right now, right? But if this is helping, then it can help. And it's like a good tool he can return to later, you know, or just have with him. Um, yeah. And so I thought that was really, I, I loved that. It was like one of the most 
special things recently. Um, yeah. How have, how has the, the reception been from like adults that you're helping with through this medium? It's been really special. I think like the thing is, is it's very niche, right? Like yeah. it's not like not everyone's going to be like, yeah, let's make a trauma doll. And like, will sit with me and collaborate on like a ritual or like have sessions with me or will be like open in this way. You know, a lot of times it, it, it that's not necessarily um, something that everyone wants to do. So like, I feel like the people that want to and the people that are drawn to it, it's been really a really fun collaboration because they do it in a way where they, cause it's never the same, right? Like I bring like this little, I can crochet the thing and I can hold the space, but ultimately it's like, what are the materials we're going to use? Like, how do you want to do this? And I never really know how it's going to happen. It just kind of happens. And it's not, it's because it's not just me doing it. So it's been really, really beautiful. I just had this thought about how um, that I wanted to insert here because I think like the origins of like these dolls are not, you know, they're not just mine, right? Like when I first started making them, I was like, oh my God, am I making voodoo dolls? Like, do I need to like get some permission or like, am I going to like die or like do some, like I was like being crazy. And then I did some research and I asked some people and I would, if I am wrong in what I'm about to say, then I would love to be corrected. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but what I learned was that voodoo dolls were not, were not originally like used to hurt people. They were used in the same way that I'm using these trauma monsters. Essentially they're made to care. They're made to be cared for. And then I also started researching, you know, like, totems in the Philippines that might be utilized or might be and I came across um, Anitos which are ancestor spirits and folks would their folks would make totems for these ancestor spirits usually out of wood um, where the spirits could live and rest and take care of the home and I thought that was I was like that's that feels very aligned with the things that I'm creating because the more I go into this trauma work, the more I realize that it it's not necessarily bad or good. It's all, it just kind of is. And so whatever it is, the energy that you're putting into, you can shift it, you can change it. And it is just like a vessel to carry whatever you need it to carry. So. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> yes. Layers. <laughs> layers layers and also i did not know that that the philippines had totems so thanks for the knowledge and i'm excited to look into that more and speaking of being filipino <laughs> um mm -hmm. in your work and in some of your posts on social i know that you've been doing some decolonization work how has that intersected with your art? That's also a very heavy, hard question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so I think inherently because 
I am Filipino. The work is part of, Mm -hmm. yes. Um, So I don't know that there really needs to be, I'm trying to own the fact that I don't need to really like validate it in any other way. Right. Mm -hmm. But I also know that like, it is important um, to acknowledge it and to like source wherever it is coming from, if it is, if it's necessary. Um, And I think like, yeah, it's really influenced a lot of my work because um, a few years ago, I was working with a collective. We built a collective called Walanghia. And um, so working on shame culture in the diaspora, what does it mean? And like the direct, the direct translation of Walanghia is without shame, right? But it's when it's said to you, it's like, have you no shame? Shame on you. Mm. Right. So like, how has that been shifted? How has that been turned? Why is that part of our, our culture, you know? Um, Now we built this really beautiful, joyful collective together. There were 13 of us. And within that, I want to say two years we were building, year and a half. Right before COVID, we dissolved. And that was also a strange, funny death um, in the fact that, you know, losing friendships is very hard. You know, it it hurts in ways that, like, you don't think that, like, it would hurt. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's an underrated type of heartbreak, you know? Like, Mm. (laughs) yes. Yeah. And yeah. And so it dissolved and it was kind it kind of went open-ended and open-ended kind of dissolved some people had hard boundaries some people had soft but it ended in a way where we knew that we it needed to end um and so when you ask this question like it I'm having a hard time answering it because of this dissolving of community that happened and I'm still working on the lessons around it I'm currently trying to seating with a friend of mine this a um a project where we ask these questions because I know that I'm not the only we're not the only collective that has dissolved it was Filipino I know in general community-based um collectives dissolve all the time and like why is that um and I'm also trying to understand and acknowledge that is dissolved this question of is dissolving of a collective a failure and I don't think there has to be an answer um but I think that has been like a part of my work as well is trying to rewire how I think about yeah like how I think of success Mm, like as long mm -hmm. Yeah, like yes. is longevity is longevity a form of success? Or like can you just can you learn as much from the quote failures, you know, right. as you can from the successes? Like what what does it mean to be a successful community collective doing decolonization work? Right. You know? I don't think there yeah, I don't think there is an answer for that. And it's <laughs> it it is what it is and it it takes on new life in different new ways in different directions 
and it continues to live in its own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah. yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the goods are that we are trying and that we continue to try and that whatever lesson we learned, we can continue on separately. There's this like, Hey, designy background is coming on now. My design background. I'm like, I think about um, this like German art movement called the Bauhaus that does that basically all they, they created the school in Germany and they were shut down because it was Nazi time Mm -hmm. and they all had to flee to escape. And people have argued that the success of the Bauhaus was because it dissolved. The reason it like the style of the Bauhaus, like the type of design that you see in architecture and in advertising and design and everything, it wouldn't be as successful if it didn't dissolve and have to move away. And so I've been, I've been thinking about that in a lot of like community organizations that fall apart quote, you know, or that quote aren't successful. And I wonder if the reason that they fall, that they are allegedly falling apart is so that they can spread their seeds elsewhere and like grow from it in a different way that we don't know yet. Cause it's, you know, we're still growing, we're still learning. Right. We are just about at time. Crystal, do you have any final questions? Oh my God. I have, cause I have a, a final question. Okay. I have a million final questions, but like, <laughs> you know, we don't have all the time. Okay, so Dustin, you have your final question. You can you can take the question. Okay, so I feel like of all of a lot of the folks that we've had on this podcast, you're very special because the work that you do is very very unique um, and different from anyone else that we've had on the show. And for me personally, I don't get to interact with a lot of people who do the work that you do. So for anybody who is listening to this podcast. Um, and we're talking about a lot of sensitive stuff, death, dying, grief, end of, end of life, end of moments, deep transition. These are a lot of like heavy, heavy things that you've had time to think about and had time to have conversations with other people about. So I'm, I'm wondering, is there anything that you wish for folks to take away from this conversation? Or is there any one message you wish to make sure people take from listening today the one thing is is not a cop-out i think the one thing that they need to take from it is the thing that makes them the most uncomfortable and i'm just gonna leave it there (laughs) i love that i love that because you know what i wish i i know we didn't really get to talk as much about like generational trauma (laughs) which I also wanted to talk about Um, we should do that (laughs) we should do that maybe if you're free and would love to come back we'd love to have you sorry we totally went off tangents here I'm just we're just fascinated (laughs) by your work (laughs) like thank you and um no yeah I, I I love what you said about that just and I think this can also go into you know general generational trauma is that 
all that trauma makes us uncomfortable and we don't get to talk about it and we don't get to process it. We don't get to to let it be, let it live and let it die. <laughs> or we yeah. just let it live for too long and pretend like it's not there, which is actually that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, Trisha, thank you so much for joining us. Um, for folks who are listening, follow Trisha at Trisha Frula. Check her out. Check her art out um, and all of what she's up to at TrishaFrula.com. Thank you for all the work that you're doing in the community. And um, everyone, this was Trisha Frula. Trisha Frula! Thank you. Thanks all for tuning in. Don't forget, be a me searcher. Follow us at me search podcast. Check us out online at me searchpodcast.com. As always, we're going to get to the bottom of things. This is a me search, folks. Ooh.